Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. At the 2018 POD Partnership Opportunities and Drug Delivery Conference, Dr. Barbara Lukel, Global Head of Research Technologies at Roche, provided a year in review on the drug delivery landscape. Please note that the 2019 POD conference takes place in Boston on October 7th and 8th. Enjoy this podcast with Dr. Lukel. It's a great pleasure to be here again to open the eighth annual pod and actually to start with a report that I recognize was also done for the eighth time by consultancy company Deloitte, who looked at return on investments. And when they speak about the original cohort, these were the 12 pharma companies with the highest R&D budget in 2009 when they started this analysis and recognizing that last year was actually a record year with regard to the amount of money it takes to bring a drug to the market. They looked at the return on investment over those eight years and as you can see from this group of 12 companies, it steadily declined over the years. Now, I don't want to make you feel depressed because it's actually a good message for POD. It first of all means those companies need to invest more in drug delivery for life cycle management to get more out of one drug. And it also means, together with the fact that actually less than a quarter of all drugs are brought to the market by the top pharma companies, that the number of customers you have as drug delivery companies is much broader than just the big companies. I also did a look at the number of modalities as they appear in clinical trials over the years. This is a study published by McKinsey, and as you can see, and you will also see it reflected in the most recent approvals, modalities such like cell therapy or oligonucleotide-based therapies did have a steady rise over the years and by now represent 12% of the clinical portfolio. With small molecules still being half of them, clearly the industry pipeline is moving to a plethora of new technologies, of new modalities that either need additional drug delivery or represent drug delivery in their own rights. So this diversity is also reflected in the approvals. Those of you who attend for several years now will remember that I like to look at all the approvals that happened looking at FDA approvals ever since the last pot, and there were really super exciting firsts this time around and also exciting members of emerging modalities being approved for the second or third time. SARNA. It's actually a fairly young field. It was discovered only 20 years ago. The phase one trial was started less than six years ago. And here we have the first SARNA drug approved. Supposedly, it did cost 2.5 billion. Certainly, that field had many crash and burn partnerships with large pharma, Roche included. And I guess one of the reasons was a certain impatience with trying to solve the drug delivery problem. Now, alnylam, which is given the credit of a triumph of perseverance over interference, very much love that title of that Nature article, can really get the credit for solving this. This was obviously due to the recognized ionizable MC3 lipid family, originally in the LNP tech platform by TechMira, that made that drug approval happen. Those drugs solve very important rare diseases. This one got approved for polyneuropathy, which is a disease that's actually called by a mutated transthyrosin gene, and that leads to a misfolded protein being expressed, which then is amyloids deposits in organs as well as peripheral neurons and causes this disease. And with this SARNA mechanism, obviously this depositing is no longer happening. So a first of its kind and likely more to follow. 
Another very, very exciting first is also a first gene therapy product for inherited retinal disorders, in this case a product to treat biallelic mutations in the RPE gene, which is a gene that, if mutated, leads to retinal dystrophy and ultimately blindness. This product is a culmination of more than 25 years of work of two researchers at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, who actually started the first trials in 2007. And those original patients, those 12 patients at the time, they still benefit from the single shot of retinal injection of the gene therapy vector. The product is actually brought to the market by a company called Spark Therapeutics that was founded in 2013, and the rights outside of Europe for this product are licensed to Novartis. It's a disease that impacts roughly 2,000 patients in the U.S., and it was actually the benefit and the voice of these patients that caused this drug to be approved quite readily by now in a field that saw many high-profile failures in the late 1990s. You may remember patients' death being treated systemically for an inborn error of metabolism disease. And so there had to be a lot more investigations to be done to bring that promising modality not only to patients but ultimately to approval. Credit also to the company for investing a lot in the manufacturing, in the dosing, and even how to design the formulation so you can administer this from the wild through the tubes and the syringe to place it subretinally. And now with this very first gene therapy drug being approved for the eye, which is kind of a very special organ for this type of modality, lends itself very well to this. I think the good news is that according to this article here, the number of genes identified and mapped in the eye that would be amenable likely to this has increased very much over the years, so hopefully more treatment options to come for those patients. Next first. It's actually amazing when you, what you find out when you do the research what happened over the last year. I'm really impressed every time I do that research. So this is the first of its kind peptide receptor radionuclide therapy. It actually comes from a company called Advanced Accelerator Applications, pioneer in the field of nuclear medicine. It was acquired by Novartis, and the drug is basically the peptide binding to the somatostatin receptor, which is also a drug in its own rights, but then bound to a chelator, and that chelator holds a radionuclide that when the neuroendocrine cells that carry these receptors and that are diseased take up that chelated peptide, then emits beta particles to destroy the cancer cell. Now, the cool thing about this approach is also that instead of the cell-killing radionuclide, you can also add another isotope that actually will help imaging the diagnostics. So this is a true theragnostic modality approach. Next first of its kind, a pill, a digital pill that allows patient, and if the patient allows it, also the caregivers, the family members, the doctors, to really know that a patient took the pill. As you know, compliance and adherence is a major problem. It is certainly also a problem for drugs like schizophrenia. So Otsuka and Protoys, who is the company who has developed that sensor, teamed up to develop and now got approved the Abilify MySight product. It was paramount for Protoys to develop this sensor such that it really contains only benign ingredients given it is swallowed. And the way it works is once it reaches the GI fluids that it sends a signal to the patch that is worn by the patient and that patch sends the signal to the smartphone. And so then it is registered when this pill is being taken 
And in addition, as with many apps these days, there can be more information registered in this case, how the mood of the patient is and some other day-to-day -day activities. Actually interesting that the original sensor was approved in 2012 and then again rejected because of human factors and other reasons. And now together with Aripriprazole and the Abilify MySight product, it was reapproved by the FDA. A second, not a first. Last time, actually, I did present on the very first CAR-T therapy, Cymria by Vartis, in collaboration with UPenn. This time, it is Kite that had been acquired by Gilead. This is this very special way of taking blood from a patient, isolating T cells, transducing them with a synthetic receptor that will redirect those immune cells to fight cancer and expand them outside of the patient and reinfuse them. So truly patient-specific personalized medicine. Those CAR-T receptors, they have three canonical parts to it. One is the antigen binding site, which for this product is CD19 on B cells, just like for Cymria. And then there is a T cell activation sequence as well as a co-stimulatory sequence. That actually makes a difference between the two products. This one here uses CD28 and Cymria 41BB. And then the other difference is the vector that is used to transduce this CAR-T receptor into the T cells, which in this case is retroviral and not lentiviral. Now this field certainly, who are following it, is exploding right now. You see the massive numbers of trials. There are more than 200 products right now that are being studied, most of them still autologous, so taking the cells from the patient and reinfusing, but the field is also more and more looking right now at preclinical stage into allogeneic cells, cells derived from stem cells to fully exploit the potential of this modality using the immune system to fight cancer. Interestingly here, actually the first clinical trial was done in 2007, just like for the ocular gene therapy, and 10 years later we have the product on the market. Additional innovations and approvals in the field of diabetes, one is actually a device to help with the PLGA microparticle formulation for Bidurion that initially was a while with a very complicated procedure, and I checked out the video on the web, it's actually quite interesting how much this procedure could be facilitated and simplified through such a device. Now, Bidurion is once weekly. The other way to achieve this and got approved since last pot is the semaglutide molecule by Novo Nordisk. And in this case, it's the design of the molecule that achieves a half-life of about 165 hours, which is more than 10 times longer than its one's daily counterpart, liraglutide. And Novo spent a lot of time researching the stability of this molecule to make it stable against DPP-4, but more importantly, also studying the acylation site, the type of linker, and then finding out that a C18-DI acid is actually key to get the desired albumin binding to finally result in this very long half-life while maintaining enough refraction of the peptide that it can reach its receptors. So great innovation for diabetes patients. And as you can also read, this molecule is now heading towards a significant number of oral studies using a technology which I believe originated from Hemisphere with enhancers like SNAC. And I think they have already very promising reads out from one of their 10 trials that they do for this oral principle. Now, as usual, the field is catching up.
More and more, and while maybe now a formulation will make it oral, there are other drugs still injected that actually from an efficacy point of view, like the dual glip gip um, agonists, may already advance the field so much that then maybe the route is no longer the deciding factor to prescribe a medicine. I think that's sort of the dynamic environment that we always live in. All right, other approvals. Another antisense oligonucleotide, actually the third after Kinamro and Spinraza. This is by the Ionis affiliate, and it's approved for the same indication as the first SARNA treatment. Now, SARNA treatment need to be infused every three weeks. And for the antisense oligo, it's a quite high concentrated formulation, nicely water-soluble molecule, and it can be given sub-Q in a pre-filled syringe. I do think they come with different sort of side effect profiles, so it will be interesting to see between the two drugs and the different administration routes for the very same administration who will gain the market share. There were quite a few enzymes being approved ever since the last pot, either pegylated or not pegylated, and administered in all different routes, IV, sub-Q, and IM, for very different diseases, including enzyme replacement ones. Again, also a swirl of antibodies being approved, and all but one, trogarzo, is the one that is administered IV, but the other ones are all sub-Q, as it's these days pretty standard for antibodies, and either come in vials, pre-filled syringes, or auto-injectors. Interestingly, actually, for an antibody, there is one product, iMovic, that is approved for the prevention of migraine. And last but not least, there's a swirl of small molecule products that were being approved and just looking at those where drug delivery plays a role. There is one that is offered both as a tablet and as an IV infusion for CMV prophylaxis if people undergo stem cell transplant. And what they needed to use to solubilize the molecule for the infusion is hydroxypropyl beta-cyclodextrin, which is by now a very established agent to help solubilize drugs for parental use. Interestingly, two drugs approved are based on a pro-drug principle. One is for the eye to reduce interocular pressure. It's actually a pro-drug made out of two compounds. And so the esterases in the tear fluid will cleave the molecule and then it will fall further apart into the signaling nitric oxide and then laternoprost molecule and thereby enable both the conventional and non-conventional aqueous humor outflow. Another prodrug is for a tyrosine kinase inhibitor. This is an oral tablet, and this compound is very poorly soluble. So the active part of the molecule is very poorly soluble. So what they did was create a methylene phosphate prodrug, and what then happens when you ingest this molecule is that the alkaline phosphatases in the apical brush border membrane of the GI tract cleave that molecule and thereby release the active agent that can now do the job upon systemic uptake. And last but not least, two other small molecule drugs that are poorly soluble and that use an agent that has also established itself for solid dispersions to help polysoluble drugs, which is hydroxypropyl methyl cellulose acetate succinate. It's great if those excipients that also take a long while to be developed make more and more footprint. So away from drug approvals and over to partnership and any kind of drug delivery news, here are reported partnerships between delivery companies and large pharma. And maybe as a preface, I don't 
guarantee that I really picked up everything. I tried to do a good job, but if I miss out on anything and you feel like anyone in the room here has done a significant or any deal of any kind and it's not reflected here, please come up to me and I'm happy to correct it before the slides are put on the web. So a few deals in the oral space. Actually, Shire teaming up with Rani, who presented here last year for their oral pill for poorly absorbed molecules, teaming up for um, factor eight in hemophilia. And in addition, Rani also gathered a new 53 million funding round in February this year, and the parties work on this in an exclusive collaboration and option agreement. Ellie Lilly made an, an initial agreement including equity and some initial research funding to study the application of Entrega's oral technology for Lilly's peptides to see whether this warrants any further development. And then Novartis did two deals in oral delivery, but they have nothing to do with peptides. Actually, they have to do with oral controlled release. One is with an Israeli company called Intec Pharma, the accordion pill. And the other one is with BDD Pharma, which is a Scottish company that has multiple technologies for delayed or phased oral release. Alexion is yet another partner to team up with Helozyme in a deal of up to four targets and including their C5 complement inhibitor to enhance the sub-Q injection frequency, maybe to two weeks or even one month. And then two companies, including the company I work for, Roche, as well as Beringer Ingelheim, we have teamed up with different players in the exosome field. Exosomes are an emerging, interesting carrier system that we actually all have in our body. It's happening all the time. This is how the cells communicate with each other and carry cargoes from one cell to the other. They're actually quite complex vesicles made up of lipids and proteins and have a lot of oligos in their inner core. And Roche is trying to figure out whether milk exosomes by a company funded by PureTech Health can help oral delivery of antisense oligonucleotides. And Bringer has established the partnership with Evox based on their Research Beyond Borders framework and is looking at the application of those exosomes in multiple disease areas, as I understand. I also looked at any kind of product deals that actually comprise products using drug delivery approaches. And you see a few themes in there. There are quite a few topical pain products using proprietary technologies, controlled release pain products, or controlled release cancer peptide depot formulations. There is a very interesting one. This is the last one on the list. Tokagen licensing Toka 511 and FC to Apollo Bio. It's a very special approach in the sense that a retroviral vector is used to infect cancer cells and releasing there an enzyme called cytosine deaminase. And then the idea is that the patient also takes a prodrug called fluorocytosine and then once this prodrug reaches the cancer cells, that particular enzyme will convert it in situ into 5-fluorouracil so it can be active right there in the tumor. Those in bold actually have a reason. This is all licensing happening from companies to those bolded companies that are in China, which is obviously becoming a very emerging market in healthcare in general, but you can also see an emerging market for doing partnerships. In the theme that not only Big Pharma is the customer for drug delivery, what we could see um, ever since the last pot is that drug delivery companies partner with other drug delivery companies or also biotechs, 
sometimes to actually co-develop certain platforms, sometimes to bring a therapeutic platform like CureVac's messenger RNA platform together with Arcturus delivery platform and generate novel therapies from that. Also interesting consolidation in a way, Psyvida, already known for its controlled release products, has changed its name and also acquired Icon Bioscience, which had its own drug delivery platform called Verizome, and they actually got the approval in February this year for a product called DexiQ, which is put after cataract surgery into the posterior chamber and releases dexamethasone in an extended release formulation to prevent inflammation associated with this surgery. Another interesting consolidation is a company called NutriBand acquiring 4P Therapeutics, aiming to become a leader in transdermal drug delivery. And actually, 4P has a pipeline of products. I think they may be here. And they also have one product approved, Defend, as an abuse deterrent fentanyl system, which is obviously very important given the many abuse-related deaths for opioids. They also acquired Carmel Biosciences, which is a company specialized in reformulations, and they had an oral formulation of Valsartan approved, and this is obviously for patients who may not be able to swallow tablets. Other partnerships are in well-known delivery areas such as devices, controlled release and targeted delivery, and that's the bottom part of that slide. And then also, Precia is trying to extend the application of its 3D printing technology by teaming up with Cycle Pharma, which is an orphan drug company. And it seems the hope is that for drugs that either require higher doses or a fast melt on the tongue, that this dosage form is adding additional benefits and also getting additional footprint in the marketed drug space. I want to finish with one quite exciting partnership quite a game-changing sub-Q injection technology. I believe Portal is also at this conference. And this is so Takeda teaming up with them for molecules for chronic diseases where patients have to inject for basically a lifetime, like Crohn's or colitis. And this is a needle-free system, but not just for the sake of avoiding a needle because patients may be fearful of those but it's a very sophisticated one and will tie in neatly with the digital topic that we will focus on tomorrow because it has a computer-controlled electromagnetic actuator that will generate a jet of liquid that will penetrate the skin. That jet is smaller than the inner diameter of a 31-gauge needle and comes with a very precisely calculated release, not this drop-off that you have with the either spring or gas-filled needle-free um, systems. And interestingly, this system also has an internal feedback system to measure the pressure and to adjust the speed of the fluid. All of this happening in less than one second, which apparently is currently needed for one milliliter. On top, it is cloud-connected, so it can send reminders for the patient to take the medicine, and it can, just like also the ProToy system, do real-time track when the injection has occurred. So, all of this happened in one year. It's pretty amazing, and I guess many of you in the room may have contributed to those approvals, to those progresses in development, and I think we are here to further enhance what we collectively can do for innovation to help patients. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Pod 2018. The Pod 2019 event takes place October 7th and 8th in Boston. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.com dot org.